Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that worship is not a passive thing, that you are a real God, you are our King, that we can come in the quietness and the stillness of our hearts. God, you draw us close to you. God, thank you for loving us, loving us when we did not deserve it, loving us when we act like a prodigal sons and daughters. We, you love us in spite of us. You love us unconditionally. Lord, even in our rebellion, you keep calling us to come back to you like the father who ran after his prodigal son when he returns home. So God, you know the condition of each one of our hearts, God. God, you know where we are, where we've been. You know our weaknesses. You know how we fall, how we fell off, how we how we've fallen. You know how we have walked up, I walked back up. And so, Lord, I pray that our lives would be a genuine offering to you. God, I pray for those who who cannot experience, who have yet to experience your love, that they will find you. God, I pray that those who know you, they they will re, that they will continue to rejoice in you. God, we know that this world does not have what we need. This world will not satisfy us. So, Lord, we come before you with open hands and open hearts. Fill us up with you one more time. Help us to drink deeply from the living water. Jesus, thank you so much for being our king so we don't have to be king over our lives. So, Lord, thank you for these few minutes of silence that we can can respond to you. God, be with us. As we prepare our hearts to listen from you. Thank you for your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. So God, speak to us as we look into your word about forgiveness. Shine your light upon the lies that we believe in. And give us courage and faith to continue to believe in you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the things that we've been talking about so far in our sermon series are different lies that Christians believe. We talked about how dangerous it is to follow our hearts instead of following Jesus. We've also talked about how it is important uh, for us to, to trust in Jesus, not trust in ourselves. That God sometimes do let us to experience, uh, to go through uh, things that we cannot handle ourselves so that we may put our trust in him. Today, we're going to talk about uh, our fifth lie. The fifth lie that we're going to talk about today is, I could never forgive that person. I could never forgive that person. Sometimes it may be a person who have done great harm against us. Sometimes it might be a person who's done something minor. But, but at, no matter how big that, that, that hurt may be, oftentimes we're, we hear this voice in our head through, through the enemy that we could never forget that person. It was in uh, December 20th, 1974. 10-year-old Chris Carrier was kidnapped. Just five days before Christmas, Chris, a 10-year-old boy, walked home from school. On his way back in a very normal, safe neighborhood, an older gentleman approached him, asked him about his father, Ask him about his mom. This man seemed to know everything about Chris's family. 
told Chris that he's preparing a birthday party for his father and asked if Chris wanted to follow him and help him to get uh, prepare the decoration. Being innocent and trusting Chris hop on into the van of this man named David McAllister. And soon and very soon, Chris understood that this was no normal trip. This was not a man of, who claimed to be the friend's friend of his family. In fact, this man drove him off, stabbed him, put a bullet in his head, and left him in the middle of nowhere in the Everglade in Florida, leaving him to die. By all accounts, Chris should have died, would have died, and people would would not have known where his body would have been. Yet by the mercy and sovereignty of God, Chris somehow was discovered by a man and drove him home. Fast forward 22 years later, after episodes of stress and anxiety and fear, Chris experienced deliverance from the Lord, found Jesus, all seemed to be well. But 22 years later, out in the middle of the day, Chris, now a grown man with two daughters, received a phone call. The voice on the other line was one of the chief of the police back, who, uh, back when he was kidnapped and rescued. This police officer notified Chris and said, Chris, we found a man who confessed to kidnap you and try to kill you. Would you like to talk to him? Would you like to see him? He is now an old man dying in the nursery home. Man, this story sounds like a story in a movie. Sounds like a story in Dateline that they report. If you were Chris, What would you say to Dave McAllister? What would you say to the man whom you last saw put a bullet in your head? What would you say to the guy who tried to kill you? This is a real life story. When we talk about forgiveness, not every one of us experienced the same thing Chris Carrier had had experienced. But yet to a lesser extent and to and, and, and as real as those pains may be to us, we've been hurt, we've been disappointed. And I think naturally, no one likes to forgive others. And more likely, most of us don't want to forgive others, even though we, we, we know it is the right thing to do, we don't want to do it. Because there are different things in our heads of things that if I just forgive that person, we're letting that person off the hook. I deserve justice. I deserve to make that person feel worse. I deserve that person to be be, uh, guilty. But there's so much in the scripture that has to deal with the topic of forgiveness. One of the things I I know scripture is real is because the scripture never um, hides the fact that we will be hurt. Scripture never hides the fact that we we will be uh, disappointed by people. 
The scripture never pretend that the world is a great place and that everything is going to go well for us. Even as Christians, the scripture said you will uh, encounter problems. Trouble will, will be present in your life, even as a Christian. So we know that the scripture doesn't have this kind of naive view of life. The scripture is so real about life, but the scripture also tells us how we deal with hurt and pain. Speaks volume about our relationship with God. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 3 says this. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty. But the resentment caused by a fool is even heavier. Here's Solomon writing this to warn us how resentment can be heavier than a stone. Uh, Resentment can be heavier than sand. And when we are unwilling to forgive, bitterness, resentment start building up. And what happens is instead of that person uh, that hurt us, that we, we think well, by not forgiving that person, that person will hurt. But what in reality, we ourselves are walking around with this heavy, heavy weight in our lives. See, bitterness and forgiveness is a worthless weapon. We like to use this weapon to hurt the person who hurt us. But in reality, we ended up being the one who's being hurt. We ended up being the one who's miserable. So often the person who hurt us can care less that we that they've hurt us. They can care less that we're in pain. And so by not forgiving that person, we think that person actually cared how we felt. But in reality, we are the one who are living through that pain. It is a waste of time for us to use bitterness and resentment as a weapon against those who hurt us. Because only uh, the only result is that we ourselves are being hurt. See, you and I may have been hurt by people at one time or another. It might be a big thing, maybe a small thing. It may be like what Chris Carey have experienced. And I'm sorry that we all have experienced pain because your pain is real. But here's the good news. That person can't hurt you anymore because if that God has given you the power to endure, the power to forgive that person. If you experience, uh, you are willing to extend grace and forgiveness, that person no longer have a hold on you. Is that we can experience freedom in Christ. See, forgiveness is a huge deal for God. Not because God just forgiven us, but he, he expects us, called us to forgive others. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, of all the topics that, that Jesus had taught. Jesus particularly put his finger on forgiveness. Look at what it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Man, forgiveness toward others is such a big deal. Jesus here is saying, when you forgive others, it is a sign that you have experienced forgiveness from God the Father to you. He put it so strongly in verse 15, if you don't forgive others by uh, others of their trespasses, it says, neither will the father forgive your trespasses. So if you are unwilling to forgive others, You are keeping God from forgiving you. See, our forgiveness toward others, no matter how small and how big they have hurt us, 
it might just be the sign that we have experienced the forgiveness of God. The best way to show this world that God's forgiveness for the whole world, God's forgiveness for my sin and your sin is real, is by us forgiving others. Here's a question I want to ask you. Are there people that you have hold on to and I'm willing to forgive today? Are there people that have hurt you that you're still holding on to bitterness, grudges, that you have bought into the line and said, I will never forgive that person. I could never forgive that person. No matter what that person does, I will never forgive and let go of that person's action against me. I think for many of us, many times we believe that we can't forgive someone because we bond the lies and the myth that the enemy has in us about forgiveness. So today in my sermon, I want in our message today, I want to share with you several of the myths that, that the, the devil sowed inside of our hearts that he used to lie to us about what forgiveness is not. The first myth I want to share with us is simply this. That forgiveness means that you have to forget. We've heard of that saying, haven't we? Forgive and forget. We're told in our culture, we're, at least we're told to believe that if you truly forgive someone, you need to forget what that person has done. It is almost as if uh, that we, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Man in Black. It's an older movie uh, about these, um, these two um, agents who's trying to uh, eliminate aliens. And what happened is every time people who have seen them at work, they have these neutralizers that they will scan on the person and they erase their memory. And many times we bond into this myth that when we forgive someone, we're supposed to scan ourselves with the neutralizer and forgive and lose that memory as if that person had done uh, nothing against us. But we know in our experience that's not real. We will, the, these memories are real things. These moments of hurts, these moments of pains might always be with us. In the story of Chris Carey that I shared early on, he lived the whole life, his whole life, wrestling with the pain, the moments, wondering if Dave McCallister would ever show up again to finish the job that he has started. See, when we forgive, we're not pretending that nothing had ever happened to us. When we forgive someone, we're not saying, oh, wow, this person never did anything wrong with us, against us. See, forgiveness means that we actually remember what had happened to us and choose to let go, choose to forgive. We're not taking a razor and saying, no, this person never did anything wrong. We're saying this person did something wrong against me, and I choose not to hold that person wrong anymore against me isn't that what the gospel is all about in isaiah chapter 53 here's a prophecy about jesus what he would do for you and i as sinners notice what it says but he meaning jesus was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. 
See, the gospel is not just taking a razor and say, oh, no, Martin never sinned, Ben never sinned, Michael never No. Look at the word that describe our sins, transgression, iniquities, astray. When God forgave us, he did not pretend none of those happened. In fact, Jesus said, because of all those bad things and evil things we have done against God, in spite of that, I chose to sacrifice my son to forgive you. So did God forget that we've sinned? No. Every, every book of the Bible reminds us once again, the sins of the Israelites, the sins of those who are in the New Testament. In fact, predicting the sins that we, you and I, have com- will commit and continue to commit. And yet in spite of those sins, not forgetting them, God chose to forgive us. See, forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about letting go. And trusting in God. So don't buy into the lies that when I forgive, I must forget. Because you can forgive and still not forget what people have done against you. Because you have chosen by the grace of God, by the forgiveness of God in your life, to no longer hold that person at fault against you. So that's the first myth that, that I want to talk about is forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Here's the second one. Forgiveness means that you are condoning the actions of others. Many of us don't want to forgive people because when we forgive people, it seems to us that we're letting, letting the person slide. We're saying, oh, that person got off easy. And so instead of letting that, instead of forgiving that person, we want exact revenge. We want that person to pay for what they've done to me. For every word that they said, I want to pay that person to pay back. I want that person to, to, to be miserable knowing that I'm still mad at that person. But as I said earlier, so often that person can care less how we feel. Because if that person cared how we felt in the first place, that person would not have hurt us. And so we take control and we want, we want that person to, to experience justice and guilt and shame. So we thought by, by not forgiving that person, we're not letting that person slide. But notice what Paul says. True forgiveness is not just what the person and saying that what that person did was okay. True, true forgiveness is choosing to trust God to be the ultimate and perfect judge. Here's what Paul says to the Christians in Rome. He said, beloved, here's a group of people in Rome who are experiencing severe persecution by being Christians. Imagine today in America, if you're a Christian, you would be thrown to jail. Imagine today if you're a Christian, people will throw eggs at you. Imagine if you say you're a Christian, people will, will call the police to arrest you. That's the type of world that they live in. And yet, in the midst of that injustice in their lives, see what Paul had told, told them. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Believe it to the wrath of God. And here Paul quoted an Old Testament passage. It says this, vengeance is God speaking. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't this what Jesus had done on the cross? 
Jesus did not take revenge on his own. He, even though he, he could call angels from heaven, he held back. He even prayed for those two criminals and prayed for those who crucify him. And he says this, that for they know not what they're doing. He asked God to forgive these people. How did he do that? Because he believed that God himself is the ultimate judge. God himself is the only judge that God will judge. Even though we experience injustice in this life, there will be a day that God will judge every person, every word, everything that is done wrong against God and against us. God will judge those person, people. This is why in Psalm 50, the psalmist, uh, uh, the psalmist David, King David himself declared, he says this, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. God himself is such is judge, not you, not me. As and as unjust as it might be that is done to us, injustice might be done to hurt and pain and done to us. Just like Chris Carey, David McCallum has done an evil thing against his life. Guess what? Chris is not the judge. God himself is the judge. And you might be wondering, looking at this verse, why did I include the word Selah at the end of this? One is similar because that is part of the verse in scripture. But the other reason is simply this. Most scholars and, and, and believe that the word Selah literally means a break, a pause. And what the author of this psalm, King David, wanted to, 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 for the readers to do is just read this verse and take a pause there. The heavens declares his righteousness for God himself is judge. It is as if David is telling us to lean into that more. God is judge. There's only one seat. Only one seat for the judge in the court. There may be Jerry that who are a jury who are made of many people, but there's only one judge. And in the same way, there's only enough seat for one judge in this world. And it's not you, it's not me, but it is the one who is perfect in holiness, that is perfectly just. And so when we forgive someone, we're not saying that we're letting them off the hook. What we're saying is, I'm going to trust the ultimate judge, the most perfect judge, that he will judge that person one day, that he will make the wrong right one day. And I'll let him, the most righteous judge, to do the judging. And I will do my part and simply forgive that person. So not only... We see that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not letting someone off their hook. Here's the third myth. That we think, we're, we, we believe somehow wrongly that forgiveness comes from an apology. That I will forgive you if you just say sorry. I will forgive you if you just uh, acknowledge that you've done something wrong against me. Now what I'm, what I'm not saying is that apology is a wrong thing. We teach our kids all the time that they need to say sorry. They need to apologize. Don't give fake apology, right? You heard those sometimes in the politicians, in the athletes. Oh, if I've done something wrong against you, I'm sorry. No, genuine apology is, is important. But here's the thing. 
the scripture never tells us to forgive someone when they apologize to us. The order of this matters. God never calls to forgive after people say sorry to us. God never calls to forgive someone only and only if they apologize and acknowledge that they've done something wrong against us. No. The scripture tells us we need to forgive someone for forgiveness even before they apologize to us. The burden to forgive someone does not lie on the person who wronged us, but it lies on us. That we are to take the initiative to forgive someone. Two passages that Jesus spoke of in relationship to to, um, wrong relationships. People who have hurt someone, who have sinned against someone, or someone being sinned against. Notice what the burden, the person who was supposed to take initiative. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, 24. Jesus is saying, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Meaning that if you and you are offering, you're worshiping here and then you are you're having a quiet time and know that in your heart that someone that someone uh, see that you've done something against them. That is your wrong. Notice what it says. You leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. As far as I know, this is one of the few instances that Jesus is telling us to leave our gift of worship and sacrifice. Go take care of your relationship with your brothers. Then come and finish worshiping. It is that important to God that we ourselves. Notice who's who's supposed to take initiative? Me. You, I, we are to go leave to give at the altar and go. The burden is on us to go and say, say sorry, but not only to say sorry, even when someone has uh, done something against you. Matthew chapter 18, if your brother sins against you, someone has done something wrong against you. Don't, it did not say go wait for the brother to come and say sorry. Notice what it says. You go and tell him his fault, just the, between the two of you. You're not just going to tell him his fault to, to yell at him. To tell him off. Notice what it says. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You go tell him his fault. The burden is on you to do that. And the reason to do that is not to, to go puff your chest out and say, see, I told you so you're wrong. The idea of this is to for forgiveness, to gain your brother back, to, to reconcile, to reconcile with your brother, to be one with your brother again. See, God cares about us forgiving others. He, in fact, he commands us to forgive others. And he did not say, wait for someone to say sorry to you first. He says, you go, show him his fault, not to make sure that they know that you are right, but go show him or her his, his or her fault because so that, that you can gain that brother, you can gain that sister, you can gain that relationship back. So forgiving others does not depend on whether that person says sorry to you or not. When you forgive someone, you take the initiative. You choose to, to be free from what that person had done with the goal of reconciling with that brother, to bring that brother, bringing that sister back. But not only that, here's another myth. Forgiveness is based on the actions of others, similar to saying apologies. Sometimes we, we, we believe that when we forgive others, we will only forgive the others if they pay back what they've done. I need this person to show some remorse. Then I will forgive this person. 
But here's what Paul says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I, you don't see it in English, but the word be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, it was used in a sense of a command. That Paul is speaking to the Christians at the time and subsequently to us, that it is a command for us to forgive others. It is not just a good advice. It is not just a good counsel. It is not just a good idea. It is, in fact, a command that pleases God when we forgive others. And the motivation to forgive others does not depend on, again, what that person is willing to do back to us. Notice the motivation is what? As God in Christ forgave you. We are called, commanded to forgive others, not because of what that person is willing, able to do back to us. We are called to forgive others, those who have inflict pain and hurt in our life, very real pain and hurt and disappointment in our life. We do we forgive them with the motivation, not because of what they can do back for us, but simply because of what God had already done for us. What God has already done through Jesus for us. That's why Christianity is so different from every other religion. You see, Christianity is not a doing religion. You may be thinking, well, Ben, you just told me that we need to forgive God. Jesus just commands us to do that. Isn't that a doing thing? No, it is not a doing thing first. It is a done religion. You see, Jesus only calls to do something after we have been done to. Jesus is calling us to forgive. Yes, but you guess what? Jesus has already forgiven us by dying on a cross, to taking upon himself the sins that we have committed against God. You see, Christianity is the only religion that says you have been done to and now go do likewise. And see, that's what forgiveness is. You don't forgive others because you are able to forgive others on your own. You are able to forgive others because what has already done to you by, by Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. Go forgive others, not depending on what that person has done, will do, is able to do back for you. Do forgive others because what has already been done to you. If you are following Jesus Christ, you are recipient of the forgiveness of God that you and I don't deserve. And guess what? The person who has sinned against you and wronged you, that person does not... They deserve your forgiveness, but we are called to extend that forgiveness to that person. Why? Because we are simply recipients of the undeserving grace and forgiveness from God as well. So now go do likewise. Which leads me to the last myth, not an exhaustive list, but one of the last myths we see forgiveness is this, that forgiveness is easy. Sometimes in the church, sometimes as Christians, we bind the lies that uh, we even talk in that way that forgiveness is easy. You might be hearing me talk about these things right now in this sermon. You may think, oh, Ben, you're, you're painting this naive picture that forgiveness is easy. I'm telling you, no, forgiveness is not easy. I would argue forgiveness is difficult and go one step beyond. Forgiveness is impossible. It is impossible on our own. It is impossible by our own strength. 
think about the last time that you've been wronged by someone. Every fiber of your being wanted exact revenge. It might be as small as someone cutting you off. It might be as simple as your brother says something mean to you. It might be as simple as someone use a, you use a language that, that put you down. Or it might be like Chris Carey that in every way possible, he deserved to exact revenge for the man who put a bullet in his head trying to kill him. So the scripture tells us forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not even difficult. In fact, forgiveness is impossible. So impossible that it takes a God to do the impossible to forgive us. You see, God's forgiveness of our sins are costly. Again, I want to go back to Isaiah 53 too. I want you to lean into here. What did it cause Jesus to pay for our sins? To pay for our debts? What did he have to do? What did he have to do in order for us to find forgiveness? To re- be recipient of forgiveness? Look at what it says. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was beaten. And notice, yet he opened not his mouth. And I want you to picture what it says next. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that was before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression, judgment, he was taken. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And notice what the people did to Jesus. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Jesus did nothing wrong. And yet he was treated as the worst of criminals. You see, forgiveness was not easy. Forgiveness was extremely painful for Jesus because Jesus took upon your sin and my sin, your wrong and our wrong, my wrong against God. He took it all upon himself. And in fact, no one in this world is able to carry that for anybody else except Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus did the impossible so that there is a way of forgiveness for you and I. And again, this is why Paul, going back to Ephesians 4.32, says this, that you are able to forgive others. I'm giving you the command to forgive others. I am doing that because I'm calling you to do that because now you have the power to do that for other people because the impossible has been done for you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians, just as in Christ, Christ has forgiven you. The impossible has been done for you and I. We have been given the impossible forgiveness that we do not deserve. If any one of us as Christians feel like we deserve forgiveness from God, we are believing in the wrong thing. You know what we deserve? Hell. Eternal separation. You know what we deserve? Not be with God. We deserve to be pushed away. We deserve what Jesus experienced on the cross, that the God our Father turned his way, face away from us. 
And yet Jesus took it upon himself, oppressed, afflicted. Like a lamb brought to be slaughtered. Gave up his own life. So that the impossible could be done to us. And now today as followers of Jesus, we have been able to do the impossible for others. We are called to do the impossible for others. You see, forgiveness is not easy. Don't buy into Kool-Aid people telling forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness will require you to do something that is not of yourself. Forgiveness requires us to choose God over our circumstances. Forgiveness is going to cost you something, at least in this world, to trust that the judge who will judge in, uh, one day, there will be a day of judgment upon those who have done wrong against us. Forgiveness is not easy because there's a price to pay. Jesus paid that price and now he's called us to pay the same price. Forgiveness requires us to choose God's truth rather than our own feelings. Forgiveness requires us to lean in. Lean into willing to let go. Even though every voice in our heart says, that person deserve my wrath. That person need to pay for every pain that he or she has inflicted upon me. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not difficult. Forgiveness is impossible. But because of what Christ has done, we are able to do the impossible for others. So I want to ask you the question again as I begin the sermon. If you were Chris Carrier, having gone through what he has gone through, and 22 years later, on the other side of the phone call, someone said, you can meet Dave McAllister, the guy who stabbed you, who put a bullet in your head, who left you out in the middle of nowhere. You get to stand next to him across from him. What would you say to that man? So instead of me telling you, what will you say? I want us to hear from Chris himself. I don't know exactly what the trigger was, but that transformation began to happen in me in which I realized if God in his providence can allow me to go through all of those things that I went through and protected me from being kidnapped, stabbed, shot, left to die in the Everglades, well, he's he's earned my trust. This is where you're going to find that security that you're looking for. I couldn't find it in a community of friends or institutions that said, this will be okay, don't worry. I only found it through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how you see what God has ordained sometimes years or even decades after. You know, here, my wife and I, I I had gone on and and finished school and we were in the process of, of moving back to Texas when I received a phone call. 
its major sharer from the Coral Gables Police. And he told me, he said, one of our old chiefs had come across David McAllister in a nursing home in North Miami. Would you like to go meet with him face to face? Because if you would, I can make those arrangements. This is the definition of awkward. What do you say to a guy who the last time you saw him put a bullet through your head? I sat down and I told him, I said, Mr. McAllister, I'd like you to know what's really been kind of the source of my strength through all of this. And I asked him, just point, point blank, would, would you allow me to share that hope and, and love with you? And he said, sure. We prayed together and we walked through that. And praise the Lord, I think that week of visiting him two or three times left an impression on him. And so I shared the gospel as best I could. It was just a beautiful, surreal moment of, of just being able to say, Mr. McAllister, I want you to know there's nothing between you and me except our newfound friendship. I want you to know I forgive you. And I want our, our friendship to go beyond this place. And Mr. McAllister, blind as he was and, and weak, rolled over in that bed, grabbed my hand as if he could have seen it. And with, through the tears and the difficulty, said, I'm sorry. And like the thief on the cross next to Jesus that only had one opportunity, and he took advantage of it and prayed to receive Christ. So did David McAllister. I didn't have any forewarning of what was going to happen. But I can say without any doubt, what God did in my life has given me hope that there is nothing in this world that His grace is not bigger than. came across this story several weeks ago, and I want to encourage you, if you would like to uh, listen to the rest of the story, you can go to this website, whosyourone.com, uh, a beautiful story of God's grace, uh, both in Chris's life and how he had found Jesus through it all, that he experienced the power and the grace of Jesus as a response to that. I love it when, when he showed grace and forgiveness to David McAllister's and it was after that that what caused David McAllister to say he's sorry and so I encourage you if you're a little younger uh, you're junior hires I encourage you to if you want to continue to watch this story uh, find out more I would encourage you to watch it with your parents because there are some violence in in, in his in the story and uh, but definitely encourage all of you to, find, to, to listen, to watch the story as a picture of God's grace. And so here's my challenge for you. Are there people that you need to extend forgiveness to in your life? When it happened yesterday, when something happened a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you're old like me, who are the person that you need to extend God's forgiveness to? Because we're called, be kind 
to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. I want to pray for us, and we're going to respond in a time of worship. And the next song, the last song we're going to sing is called Behold the Lamb of God. I want to encourage you as we sing this song that you will lean in to the forgiveness that was extended to you. And let that be the source of power and strength for you to extend forgiveness to others. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. God, thank you so much that you first have forgiven us. You pay a dear price to forgive us because you love us. You know that we're incapable of, 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 finding yourself, of finding you by ourselves. And even while we're still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love. Your God, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your son Jesus to die on that cross. In many ways, God, we confess that we're like Dave McAllister. We put Jesus on the cross. Our sins have nailed him there. And in an infinitely greater way, God, you have forgiven us. So God, help us to behold Jesus as we sing this next song. Lord, I pray for those who have been hurt. I know some of us here have perhaps been hurt deeply by people that are close to us. Oh, God, I pray that you will shower your grace from the gospel in their lives. Oh, God, freedom from resentment and bitterness. Help them to taste the freedom of forgiveness that we ourselves have received from you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's worship together as we sing our